that uh, some of the stuff that I'm sharing has been changing me and is still changing me. And um, so I pray that this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would reveal your word to each of us, that your word wouldn't return to you void, but would achieve what you've sent it to do. Lord, I pray for understanding and revelation and wisdom for each person and change lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We, we are living in the, the best time in history, I reckon. We are coming into such wonderful times. Um, you know, as we've heard a, a number of times from the pulpit here over the last few weeks, in the last days the Lord said, I'll pour my spirit out upon all flesh. And um, that, what does that look like? Wow, looking forward to it. So I want to share some scriptures. I haven't got them up on the board because um, I've got a bit over 20 scriptures to share with you this morning. It's not going to seem like that because I'm going to talk really fast. And, um, but I encourage you, if you want to write them down, but easiest way is just to have a look at the podcast and have a look at the scriptures because um, God's got a message in his word for us. And um, so today I'm talking about grace and truth. Grace and truth. So start off with 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Talking about the end times or the last times, this period that I believe that we're in now. And Paul's writing to Timothy about that and he starts off by saying, but know this, but know this, which is quite interesting because know is like, in this sense, is an active participating sort of action and the Greek word that that Paul wrote it in uh, there is genosoko which means must be known must be recognized and must be acknowledged so when Paul was saying this to Timothy he wasn't just saying something in passing like oh yeah by the way you know this is going to happen that's going to happen but he said to him but know this be aware of this and acknowledge this we need to understand that in the last days perilous times will come For men will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those that creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins and led away with various lusts, always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now that part there where it says, where he says um, to turn away from these people, um, I believe what he's saying there is turn away from following these people, turn away from going after what they're going after um, because What I want to talk about today is how we're reaching these sort of people as well. So it's interesting, perilous times coming ahead of us. Um, And also in Matthew 24, 24, it says that in these times, Jesus was speaking to his disciples and he said, he said, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, even if possible, the elect. So when there's the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you know, and the Holy Spirit's really moving and stuff's happening, uh, you know, people are being healed, there's the prophetic word going out. Um, The devil likes to deceive. He likes to lead people to the left or to the right away from it. So the easiest way is not to stop and block like a brick wall, 
So he gets on board and he causes you to compromise and turn to one side, turn to another, add a bit of leaven into the bread, you know, a bit of corruption into that that decays the word and takes actually the truth out of the word. And that's why he said many false prophets will arise in those times because people really are hungry and they're looking for a word from God. So the false prophets will actually offer a bit of an easier way. Like we read about times in the Old Testament, like around the time of Balaam, when what Balaam was doing, he was one of the prophets that they would pay and he would prophesy whatever the king wanted. So he prophesied, you know, peace and good and good stuff's going to happen. But God's prophets were saying, no, you know, it's time for getting your life right. It's time for righteousness. It's time for sanctification. But the other prophets were saying, nah, peace, good, keep going with what you're doing, all is good. And so in these times, we're going to see false prophets that arise too that will draw you after something that is not God and will actually be compromised. We see that even now where there's various things that we stand up and we say it's black and white in the word. A, 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 a bloke's a bloke, a girl's a girl. You know, and um, so they've, it's crept in. Oh, no, there's uh, several gen- genders. And we see that even some churches now, there's splits happening in them because uh, in America, the uh, Presbyterian church is one of them, that they've stood up and they've said, oh, no, and they have ordained... Uh, a gay bishop um, who was uh, promoting that LGBTIQ lifestyle. And, you know, people don't like you saying that. They say, oh, you're hurting people, you're judging people. No, we're going on the truth of the word. And as we go through here today, when I'm talking about the truth, you will see why it is so important to have the truth. Because we don't want to be deceived. And the Bible says many will be deceived, even the elect. Who are the elect? The people that are already saved. You know, people that have already turned to Jesus are going to be deceived. And so there's a way that we can ensure that we're not going to be deceived, and that's to know the truth. And in Daniel 11.32, I love quoting the second part of that verse, and it says, And those who know their God will take courage and do exploits. But the first part of that verse, it says, says, Those who do wickedly against the covenant shall corrupt with flattery. And, um, you know, the easiest way for someone, like the devil fell in pride, didn't he? He said, I will be like God. I will do this and I will do that and I'll get all the praise. And he works that same in us. He understands that in us there's, there's that part of self. You know, a lot of sin comes from self. It's just selfishness where we want our way. And if you want to get someone on side, you just flatter them. You know, you can talk nice things about them. Oh, yeah, poor you. You know, oh, everyone else is wrong, but you were so right. You know, they tell you that you're ugly, but you're really good looking, you know. And whatever they tell you, you know, that's really not sin. That's just how you were made. And you need to follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. Bing, bing. The Bible tells us the heart is desperately wicked and evil above all things. Who can know it? So don't follow your heart. Follow the word. Follow the spirit. Anyway, getting off the track, Revelations 3.17. I've been known to do that, but I'm watching the clock and I've only got an hour and a half left. So, <laughs> Revelations 3.17, it says, Because you say I am rich and I've become wealthy and I have need of nothing, you don't know that you are wretched, poor, blind and naked. 
And when we become deceived and we have these false voices talking to us, we're following after our own lusts or, or we're, we've taken on injury and we've taken on hurt and we've developed negative attitudes, we've lost our hope, we're living in fear. And yet sometimes we seem to grab onto this thing that we're doing okay. You know, that we're, we've got possessions, we've got position, you know, we've got status. And yet we don't know that we are blind and poor and naked, uncovered. You know, um, the world needs the truth. The world needs the truth. Not The world doesn't need to have their ears tickled. They don't need someone to put their arm around them and say, poor you, get down in the gutter with them and just wallow with sympathy with them and, you know, I can understand what it's all like with you, you know, you poor thing, you know. We need to talk about change. We need to talk about positive change. And the only way forward is actually the truth. The truth. You know, and you can't even rely on Google now. Like some t- you want to find out something, you can start Googling it. But into Google has... Google is only as good as the information that's been put into it. Google has not got a conscience. So when you're looking up things, even if you're looking up stuff to do with, you know, oh, Bible truths, you know, what does the Bible say? Even that today, you can be misled in that because Google is only as good as the input that's putting into it. And now a lot of people are trusting this AI as well, this artificial intelligence. And um, I mentioned last time that I shared that um, I've got some friends up the the uni and one of them was uh, speaking to me about, we were talking about artificial intelligence and he was saying that a big problem that they have now is that some students are using AI to do their assignments for them. So the AI is answering all the questions that you put in and and giving references and all that. He said, but when you look at the information, not all of it's true. And you look at the references they give and the quotes they give, the books that they quote don't even exist. So it's just making it up. And um, that that is the, you know, if you believe it, it must be true. You know, if it looks good, it must be true. If Alexa has said it, it must be true. If someone in authority said it, it must be true. None of that can be true if the word says it then it is truth otherwise the world gets to be so confused about what's right and wrong and we end up like Pontius Pilate we had a decision Jesus was brought before him and his wife warned him and he said have nothing to do with this man I've suffered a lot from dreams from him you know with him in them over this past period have nothing to do with it and Pilate thought well I'll investigate so he spoke to Jesus and he spoke to all the religious leaders who were persecuting him and he didn't know which way to go because a lot of times even um, uh, authorities and ruling places like the Romans, they used to use a lie as a tool, same as it is today. A lie is a marketing tool. Uh, you see a lot of people on TV, they say, I've been using this product for 40 years and look how soft it is. Things only been on the market for two weeks, but it doesn't matter. They just have someone sprouting something and then... People believe it as if it's real. And Pilate stood there and he said, well, what is truth? (coughs) He wasn't saying that as an excuse to do what he liked. I believe that was a genuine question, that he didn't know what truth was. That is good. Yeah. (coughs) So without truth, the other thing we have today in the end times, and it's going to become more and more... um, plain is we have got a hope deficit there's a lack of hope Um, 
Luke chapter 21, verse 25 and 26 and says, and there will be signs in the, in the sun and in the moon. Jesus is saying this about the late, later times or the end times. In the stars and uh, on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity and the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and the expectation of the, those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven will be shaken. So men's hearts will be failing them because of fear and also because of the expectations of what might be coming, because there's a lot of unknown there. Uh, there's a lot of conspiracy theories. There's a lot of, uh, you get so many different stories through media outlets or whatever, and then you try to investigate it on Google, and you get all the other Google stories. And you say, what is truth? And so people, because they don't know, they don't know for sure the way ahead, in their heart, they're conflicted, and they say, what do we got? They lose hope. So why do people need hope? Maybe the answer can be found in looking at, into what they are hoping for to find out why they need hope and what the answer might be. They hope that things would be better. They hope for a positive change. Um, and that being the case, if they're hoping for things to be better, if they're hoping for a positive change, they must be aware of their situation at the moment because they want change. So they're aware of their fear, they're aware of their debt or their problem, they're aware of their sickness, their failure, and they're aware of their sin. Even if people deny God, they still have an awareness of their sin, they still have a conscience. And over time their conscience can become seared by continually um, resisting their conscience and the resisting the word, the Lord speaking to them. But, some, but there's still some, the seed of it there, that I believe that the Word of God can change. And John 16, 8, Jesus was speaking about when the Holy Spirit comes. He said, and when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Um, that there doesn't just mean that he'll make them feel guilty. But it says he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. I have convictions in my life. They are the things that I know are true, that I completely understand and know, and that's my conviction. You know how when we use the word like that? Okay. So to convict doesn't mean to accuse. We'll look at that in a minute. Actually, uh, to be convicted is to accept the evidence presented as fact and truth. So when someone is convicted in the court, the judge has accepted the evidence as being a fact and the truth, and then they are sentenced. And so what happens when we get, we feel conviction, we are actually then fearing the sentence. And if we, with that fear, comes a, a deficit of hope. We need to understand that the, that the devil is an accuser, okay? He's, in the Bible, he's called the accuser of the brethren. He's an accuser. But accusations, um, they're not proven truths. They're just accusations. Accusations aren't necessarily the truth. And so the devil will use accusations against you and expect you to accept them as the truth so that you, then you are convicted by them. But what you actually are is being condemned by them. Because it's not just the conviction, it's the judgment that comes with it. But God doesn't work like that, okay? The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, 
And so we become aware of our sin and we understand the truth of it, but he hasn't judged us then. We have the opportunity then to do something about the thing from which we are convicted. Whereas the devil, when he brings the accusation, he brings the accusation and the condemnation with it. The world is suffering from that at the moment. And in the last days, men's hearts will be failing them because of this fear, because of this hope deficit. But, you know, when there's a deficit, it's like having a vacuum. Um, if you've got a vacuum in a bottle, you know, like sometimes you'll open a tin of jam and it's vacuum sealed to keep it, to keep it fresh. And you open it and it goes... It's because there was a vacuum in there and it sucked the air in straight away. Well, this, this fear that people have, this hope deficit, is like a vacuum in their life. And for us as Christians, we need to take advantage of that. We need to understand that, that when, we are, when we are moving in, in, uh, in ministering to someone or loving someone or liking and loving someone and, and, and assisting them, that they have uh, a vacuum in their life which is actually trying to draw something out of us. And we can take advantage of that because I believe that makes them also, besides being a little bit open to deception, they are open to the truth. And in these days, these perilous times ahead, I believe that people are going to be a lot more open to the truth. There's going to be a lot of deception around, but there's going to be that hope deficit that's trying to suck in an answer. In their heart, people know, Romans um, 6.23, it says the wages of sin is death. And that's actually fills in with all the laws of God. You know, the natural laws, the spiritual laws, they're all tied together. Um, if anyone knows, um, where did I put it down here somewhere? Newton's third law of motion, of action and reaction. It says, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Isn't there, Ruth? You're the teacher of all things science. Hey, yes, see? So it's got to be true. Newton was right. For every action, there's an equal opposite reaction. So when we do something wrong, we feel that there's a deficit in our life and something has to be done. So the wages of sin is death and we understand that from, the, that from the things that we've done wrong and the rebellion we have against God, there's a debt in our life. But the second half of that verse says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the hope that the world needs to hear. Jesus, the Bible uh, in John especially, described Jesus as full of grace and truth. Man, what a great balance, full of grace and truth. And so Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says that it was by grace that we were saved through faith. It's a gift of God. It's not anything to do our, of, of us, but it was a free gift from God. <clears throat> and um, so grace, uh, it is by, by grace that we are saved. Uh, keep that thought. Uh, and the word... Uh, John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. So Jesus, the word of God, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God, and said, let there be light, and there was light, blah, blah, blah. Remember that? And so Jesus is the word of God. And so this, the Bible, is the word of God. It's the, it's the, and Jesus is the personification of the word of God. So 
in John 1.14, it says that the word became flesh and was full of grace and truth. So this word, the Bible, this word of God in our life needs to become flesh as well. So this word of God, we need to get the word of God into us so that we are the living grace and truth of God. We are the same as Jesus. So when we are, that's why I've noticed over the last few months especially, there's like a greater um, hunger and a diligence from people to start reading or read more of the word and spend more time just looking at the word. And as they do, the word comes alive. You're seeing stuff like, I know I'm seeing stuff and I think, I've been reading that for 40 years, but now I actually see it, you know. You could say, well, how dumb are you? But, and probably quite rightly so. But, but not now. I seem to be getting smarter. And I'm looking at the word and I'm actually understanding it because the Holy Spirit brings revelation. You know, it brings revelation and knowledge and understanding. So now he's turning the light on. So for this word to become flesh, this word of God, in us we start living what we believe. We start living the truth and the grace. Um, John, James one twenty two says to be doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. So part of having that truth, it's not just knowing, but it's actually doing. When God convicts us through his word by the Holy Spirit, where we know it's the truth and we understand it, then we need to start walking in that. And dwelt among us. It's amazing back there in that verse it says um, that, uh, that he, he, we beheld his glory and he dwelt amongst us. And again in John 1.26, uh, John answered them and says, I baptised with water, but there's one that stands among you whom you do not know yet. And again in Acts 17.27, uh, Paul writes to, was talking to the, to the Athenians and he said, those in Athens that uh, even though they've got all these false gods, that, that Jesus is not far from each of us. God is not far from each of us. So we can see the worst person and we can say, oh, they're so far from God. And we've probably all said that in our life. We see, you know, someone who's a bit of a mongrel or a bit of a thief or a bit of a scoundrel and that and, and that has done things against us and we go, God will, could never touch him. He's so far from God. But every person, God is not far from them. He's close to every one of them and he dwells amongst them. But we have to also understand that if we're going to be like Christ... We have to be the same, full of grace and truth, and be not far from anyone. We can't separate ourselves and thinking that we're going to make ourselves safe because that's just the fear that the enemy brings upon people. Hide in your home. Enter into thy closet and shut thy door. Doesn't it say that in the Bible? It does, but in a different text. But the devil is good at getting things out of proportion. Shutting the door, hide there. I'm coming soon. Surely, Jesus, come quickly, you know, come and save me. And uh, remember, leave the light on because that's why we're lights. We've got to leave the light on so Jesus knows where we are when he comes back to get us, you know. That's not what it's about. We're a light in the darkness and we need to be out and close and involved in people's lives, you know, and trust God, trust him. Um, so <clears throat> question is, is how close are you? to those who need the Lord and how willing and how prepared are you don't hide your light under a bushel 
we as Christians need to be full of that grace and truth. That's why it says in Colossians 1.27, to them, God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. People need to see, feel, touch, smell the grace and the truth of God in your life. That's what we're here for. You know, we're not, we're not here to become prosperous for a while, build a couple of good houses, you know, have a hot combi and then God sees it and has favour on us and come and takes us home. Or a chev, if you, you know, or whatever. I think I've probably heard that there's someone around the place with a Ford, but, oh, yeah. But we won't hold that against them, you know. I'm, I'm sure God's still smiling on them. So Christ with us, we need to be full of grace and truth um, but we need to be full of grace and grace is the free unmerited favor of God as manifest in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of God's blessings upon us that's what grace is but this grace begins with love and uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that's right it begins with love. Grace always begins with love. And um, love's a funny thing because love's not feelings. Love is commitment. You know, for those of us that are married, well, actually, I could say, for the wives of us that are married would understand that love isn't all about feelings because, man, sometimes those feelings aren't there. And it's about commitment. You know, the feelings come and go. And the emotions come and go. But the commitment's got to stay there. Because people are going to disappoint you. People are going to disgust you. But we don't know they're going to disgust you. But we don't know their story or where they've been. We, we don't know what they're suffering from or what they're carrying. The wounds that are so open and raw in them. And uh, like the lepers that came before Jesus and they would say, stay away, unclean, unclean. And, um, but Jesus was willing to go and embrace them. And so we should be in our life. We don't, I'm not saying go out and find, find ways to put yourself in danger. It's not, it's not what it's about. We've got to use the wisdom of God. But it starts from a place of being willing to love because God loved us so much. He loved us first before we loved him. And because love will draw someone into you, okay? Um, it took a long time for me to understand that, but old, thick, but it is getting through. And then the truth. The truth is, that's the essence and the foundation of God. And in the truth, there's no shifting shadow. It's just and trustworthy. There's no lies or fakeness. It's reliable, not changing. It's powerful and active, and it's present. And this is us. We have to be the truth, the truth and grace. We have to allow that to be personified in our life the same as Jesus was grace and truth personified. Um, it's amazing, you know, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And we can quote that verse. Um, but when we think about it, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me. No one comes to the Father but through the truth. 
No one comes to the Father but through the truth. And so if the truth is hidden, if the truth is not revealed, um, what happens if you have love but not the truth? I think we get a little bit out of balance. And we've been talking a lot about, you know, learning to love people and being close to them. But we also have to have the truth. And with that truth, we have to have grace. So how do we get that? You know, sometimes people say, I must have missed a bit because I was going to say this earlier on. Oh, maybe it wasn't important. I was going to say, sometimes people say to you, uh, oh, yeah, but, you know, uh, just show me a bit of grace. Show me a bit of grace. You know, we, we might be talking about something. We might be holding them accountable for something. And they say, show me a bit of grace. I think sometimes when people are saying, show me a bit of grace, they're saying, let me off the hook. They're saying, compromise for me or whatever. But grace always, someone has to pay. Our sin has consequences and grace also has to be paid for. So when we show someone grace, oftentimes we're the one that have to bear the burden of whatever, whether it's forgiving them or whether it's forgiving a debt, whether it's loving them unconditionally. And so in Ephesians where it says, by grace have we been saved, it might have cost us nothing. But in that, Jesus paid for everything. So there is a cost. There is always a cost. And so when we talk about ourselves as Christians being full of grace and truth, keep in mind also that there's going to be a cost for us to pay. So we can't go into this whole thing unprepared and naked. We can't just... We have to get dressed. We have to put on Christ. And um, this is what we're made for. And uh, we can see that in Psalm 139 verse 16. And David writes, your eyes saw my substance. I love that bit. Being yet unformed, God saw your substance. God saw the stuff that you were made of. He didn't wait till you were fully made and think, yeah, what am I going to do with this fellow? He saw your substance. You know, he sees you, he doesn't see what's on the outside. And he goes, there's Steve is a man of substance. He's a man of conviction. He's a man of truth. He's a man of love. He keeps his word. He's reliable. And God saw our substance. There was stuff in there that was worth something. And all your days, they were all written. Uh, and, and, uh, sorry, and in your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me, yet, as, uh, yet there were none of them. So sometimes we, when we're preaching, we say, all your days are uh, written in your book. Oh, so God, you've already got a plan for me. And sometimes we think it's like fatalistic where it's just fate and it'll happen. But when you read, don't leave out that little part that says, and all your days fashioned for me were written in your book. All your days ordained for me were written in your book. So they're talking about days that God had prepared for us. We, are, we don't automatically fall into them, but they're prepared for us. And that's why Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
Not that we will walk in them or that we're robots, but things that he prepared beforehand for us that we should walk in them. The same as he's prepared the marriage supper of the Lamb that whosoever will come, but plenty will choose not to come. So these things are fashioned for us, ordained for us, fashioned for us. They're tailored for us. They fit perfectly. They're not like some one size fit all. They're individually tailored and fashioned for us, for us to walk in. Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. This is the purpose of all of that. God wants to give us a future to make our life abundantly rich. The, the devil comes to steal, kill and destroy, but Jesus came to give us life to the full, a great life. And the Lord's thoughts to us are great thoughts. They're not thoughts of, I've got to chastise this person. I've got to punish them. Man, I'm going to make them good. I'm going to make them tough. You know, like maybe our parents raised us in the old days, smack them around a bit, teach them how to be tough. Johnny Cash knows all about that and the boy named Sue. If you know that song, no, no one does. Oh, yeah, Andrew and I know that. It's Andrew's favourite song. He sings that at some of the concerts and everything. Not, no. Grace, show me grace. <coughs> and so, so God's will and purpose are laid out for us. Um, they're like a garment fashioned and tailored individually for us, but we need to put them on. So we need to take the effort to put these things on. And you know what? Do you know what the thing about God's fashion is? It never goes out of date. God's fashion never goes out of date. The things he has fashioned for us are always relevant, you know. We're not forced by God, but we're led, and it's a free choice. And just as I'm finishing up, I want to read a bit out of Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 and 20. And it says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live and that you may love the Lord your God and that you may obey his voice and that you may cling to him. For he is your life and the length of your days and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord has, Lord has swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. It's a choice. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? The world, the world needs the truth of God. And the truth of God will convict them. But the world also needs the grace of God so that they understand that that conviction is not that God hasn't sentenced them then, but he has made a way for them to be pardoned. And we need to be agents of that grace. We stand in the truth so that they see the light and then we stand in that grace so we can bring them into that light, so we can bring them to Jesus. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses to me. One of the things that the Holy Spirit does is give us power to be witnesses to Jesus. Yep. The Holy Spirit comes upon us, we can prophesy, we get words of knowledge, words of wisdom, words of understanding, gifts of healing, raise the dead, whatever. But that's not to build our fame. That's not to build our Facebook profile. That's all 
for the sake of the sinner. And that all needs to be filtered through truth and grace. Because Jesus was full of grace and truth. And he walked close to everybody. So when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, he enables us to be witnesses of Jesus. He enables us to walk in that truth and that grace because it's the truth of God that sets us free. Today, maybe we've been Christians for a while, some people here. I have. 40, 45 years, 43 years or something. Man, yeah, I got saved when Moses wore short pants and was fullback for Jerusalem, but long time ago. But you know what? Over time, you know, our life is like a lamp. And the Lord said, don't hide your lamp under a bushel. Maybe we haven't hidden our lamp under a bushel. But you ever been camping and the wick gets, you know, wick gets a bit long and it's sooty. And instead of shining light, it's sort of blowing a lot of soot. And I feel what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives is to trim the wick, to get the light shining like it should again. And I want to invite you to join me today. Um, so today, I want you to think about putting your hand up saying, Lord, I'm all yours. Here am I. I want to walk in your ways. And I want to invite you, if you would like to, to come and, as these guys uh, sing this song again, to stand out the front. Um, and, but it's not so that people can see us making a decision. It's not so that God can see us making a decision. He already knows. But I want you to hold yourself accountable, to stand at the front today and say, yeah, Lord, use me. Perilous times are coming. And I know that Christ in me is the hope of glory, that what I have a perishing world needs. And I'm not going to hide it from them. I'm not going to hide the truth from them. And I'm not going to hide grace from them. Father, I pray for each of us here today. Lord, I thank you, Lord. Lord, you really are worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you change our hearts. Lord, thank you for the burden you put on our souls for those that are perishing. Lord, we will not hide. Father, help us to be like Jesus and stand and walk in grace and truth. Thank you.